Well, again, good morning and happy July 4th. I sure hope for you and your family. Uh, I hope you're in the midst of a good weekend, going to have a great day tomorrow. It's good to be back. I've been off a couple of weeks. I understand James handled things pretty well while I was gone, right? Yeah? Did, did a right good job in getting us started in our, our series on Satan and uh, appreciate his ministry and work while I was gone. We got to have a, a week at OBX and then this past week we were, last Sunday actually, dropping Randy off at West Point last Monday night. I saw him take an oath and I'll tell you the Constitution, Constitution July 4th, that whole day has a little bit of a new meaning for me. I'll be honest with you, uh, having seen him raise his hand and take that oath. But uh, wonderful to be back here today. Hey, a couple of things real quickly. Uh, man, your church is just on fire this month. Uh, we have got so much going on in July. We have a team arriving home from the mission field tonight from Nicaragua. We have a team that has landed in the Ukraine uh, today. So keep both of those things in your mind and your prayers. Of course, we have vacation Bible school coming up. We have our youth camp coming up. Folks, all of these great, great opportunities for the gospel, great opportunities to grow people in the Lord. And I just want to ask you as a church family to be praying about that, to be praying for uh, all of these things as you're seeing and watching them go on. Uh, other thing, real quickly, a number of you have asked about our good friend, our neighbor, West Virginia, and, and what's going on there with all the, the flooding and the cleanup, and can we, are we doing anything to kind of support and be a part of that? And the answer is always absolutely yes. Uh, we, we are very committed to uh, disaster relief what we call it in, in our church and in Southern Baptist life. We have a, a convention in our state called SBC of Virginia. A big part of that ministry and their work is disaster relief. A number of people in our church are involved with that. And they have boots on the ground right now. Uh, feeding, clothing, uh, gas, water, cleanup, doing all of these things. And uh, you, you can find out more how to be involved in a part of something like that, being a part of disaster relief. There is some training for something like that. But maybe you want to do something right now. Uh, you can go to our webpage and uh, there's a link on there for disaster relief and it'll take you to their site and you can support that. Obviously, gas, water, cleanup, it costs money and uh, helping these people feed and all that. Uh, if you want to be a part of something like that, go to our website. It'll take you to a place that it's a great way to, to serve and come alongside the help there. So hope you will hope you'll take advantage of that. You have probably have figured out by now there's a plate of fruit in front of me and this is the third service. The, the bananas were more yellow at 8 o'clock, and I had more grapes at 8 o'clock. But here we go, okay? Wanna, wanna, if you all will just kind of play along with me here, I kind of want to figure out what the makeup of our congregation is. Do we have any bananas in the room? That, that's, your, that's your first choice of fruit. That's where, now, y'all work with me here. Raise your hands. Okay, we got some bananas. All right, that's a choice of fruit. Uh, oranges, that's where you're going first. Okay, not a big fan of oranges here at the Heights. That's all right. All right, grapes. Okay, okay, we might have a favorite here. How about, uh, how about blueberries? You know what? Blueberries has won every service, I think. The second service, it really won. They oohed and awed over blueberries. Yeah, we're, so we're clearly the First Baptist of Blueberryville um, here, here at the Heights. So, okay, now that we're... All, by the way, blueberries are my favorite. I, I, love, I, I think I have blueberries almost every day of the year, which is nice in June and July. It's pretty darn expensive in October, isn't it? 
If you buy that fruit, that's not a cheap fruit. But anyway, now that we're all kind of thinking about our favorite fruit, maybe starting to salivate a little bit. You know, I think about salivating in our favorite fruit. When I was growing up, my mom used to call fruit God's candy. I always thought that was the dumbest thing in the world. That's not candy. That's not what I want for candy. Don't try to fool me by calling it God's candy. But anyway, a lot better for us, right? Okay, so now that we're thinking about fruit and maybe your favorite one, I want you to think about this. Which of these here, and it doesn't have to be on this plate. You might have another one in mind. Which of these fruits do you think can do more for you than God? Which of these fruits, you know what, if, if, if I eat that, it will be better for me. It will bring more good into my life than God can or God will. That kind of sound like a dumb question. Like, what? You know what, honestly, I think it's kind of a dumb question too. It's, so that's why I think it's so crazy that we end up all making that decision. That, 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 that something here can be more for us than God. And, and you know what, folks, it's, it's been going on since the... The very beginning, some of you may be putting two and two together and kind of figure out where I'm trying to go with this. If, if you have your Bible with me, open it up. Genesis chapter 2. Don't you love when we're in Genesis? Everybody can find Genesis, first book of the Bible. Just head toward page 1 and you're just right on it, okay? Genesis chapter 2. In my Bible, it's page 2. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, and I want to start with verse 16. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. It says, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every. Can we say that word together? Every. Okay, that's, that's actually an important word. You may eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, there couple of verses, kind of simple verses. There's a lot going on there, a lot we could kind of develop and unwrap. What I want to do for this morning, though, is just, I just want us to grab a few phrases. I just want to make a couple of quick observations. Let's bring our observations up here. Number one, eat of, again, say it, every tree. I don't know about y'all, when I hear the word every, I think of plenty, don't you? I, I think of plenty, I think of abundance, I think of variety. Hey, everything out there, man, it's yours. It's for your good, it's for your sustenance, it is, it is for your well-being. That's what I, God, and I'm not, I'm just kind of speaking as if I was. I'm, I'm not God, we're clear on that, right? Okay. Okay, okay so anyway, okay, I'm, I'm not God, but if I would say, hey, everything out there is for you. It's all for your good. Now, we use the word every, but then right away it's followed with an exception, right? All right, okay, Wait, every tree but, but one there is one except this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And right away, I don't know about y'all, but, and I guess part of this is because I know where the story is going right up to today. Why put the tree there at all? I mean, why, why put the, you know, you don't put the tree there, a whole lot of this mess doesn't happen, right? But, but there is this tree. Every tree is yours except one. And if you eat of that one, it brings death. Now, it doesn't quite explain this in detail, but as I read that, I don't think death here is because the fruit is poisonous. I don't think it's saying, okay, now these other fruits, vitamin C, antioxidants, all these other things, but this fruit, now this, this it just happens to be poisonous if you'll eat it. No, that, that's not really what he's saying. It sounds to me like there's something more going on than just if I bite this fruit, it's just not physically, you know, good for my health and well-being. So every tree's mine except one. 
Eat of that one and you find death. Now, that's our kind of our context. That kind of lays the groundwork. Let's see where it goes from there. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. And folks, I just want to kind of plant this idea. We're going to see a dialogue that goes on today, every day. There's never been a day of your life where this dialogue was not going on in and around you. Last week, James introduced it to you, I believe, through Ephesians 2, talking about the course of this world, the course of the air, okay? We're going to see where that all started in Satan's tactics and how he gets us. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, oh, we may eat of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, God didn't actually say anything about touching it, did he? Not not entirely sure what to make of this. You know, I mean, ultimately, I mean, hey, to be honest, after what God said in 2, 16 through 17, I would suggest that not going near it, not touching it's probably a good idea. But she is, in fact, quoting God and God didn't actually say anything about touching it. He said, don't eat it or, or you'll die. Verse five. Or, or verse four. But the serpent said to the woman. That, that's in the Hebrew. Might not might not be in your English translation. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you're not going to die. Are you kidding me, really? Hey, listen, let me tell you what's really going on here. God knows when you eat of it. God knows when you bite into that fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. And you're going to know good from evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was, was good for food... And that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and she ate. She gave also some to her husband who was with her and and he ate. Again, just like the other passage, just a couple of quick observations. A lot to study in each of these verses. But just a couple of phrases I want to make sure we grab and come out of this with. That phrase, did God actually say? Now that's just a question. But isn't there something about that word actually that it's almost like it's casting just a little hint of doubt. A little bit of question mark. I mean, right away, I mean, it's very clear what God said. But let's just throw it out there that there might be some real confusion in what God said. I mean just the idea. Did God really? Seriously? Did God actually say. Now you, you can call the question kind of innocent. It, it, it's just trying to figure out what's going on. But to me it just casts a little bit of. Let's just start this whole dialogue. With a little bit of question. About God and about what he said. And then we move a little bit deeper into the second one. Don't eat from what? And let's try it again. It's a, it's a very tiny word. Don't eat from, or you can eat from any. Now, what did God actually say? You, can't, you can eat from every single tree. Satan quotes it. And you think Satan knows what God said? Sure, Satan knows what God said. He, he absolutely knows what God said. And he may be anticipating that Eve is going to quote it right back to him. But where does he... Remember, I'm going to start the conversation with just a little bit of question, a little bit of doubt. And then he overplays the command. Now, I don't know for sure... But I wonder, did he overplay the command? Because when you overplay it, it sounds kind of silly, right? God's made us and he's put us on there. And then he said, oh, by the way, you can't eat or touch anything. 
You can't enjoy anything that, that I've put around. Well, that's, that's not realistic. That, that's, that's silly. And, and so all of a sudden, hey, we're just trying to figure out who God is and what he said. And right from the very beginning, a little bit of question, a little bit of doubt. We overplay the command. And now we're kind of operating from the silly and the unrealistic. Okay, another phrase, Eve sees it's good. Now, understand, when, when, when it says there that she sees that it's good, the results from, from the, uh, the, the, the lab haven't come back and said, oh, good news, the fruit's not actually poisonous, you can eat it, it's fine. It has the, the C and the D and the N, it has all that. No, it, there, there's no research here, there, there's nothing, she hasn't tasted it yet. She hasn't seen it produce. This is just talking about a feeling. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm hearing... I'm hearing from the course of this world that this is a, this is a good opportunity. And, and you know what, dang, as I look at it, I mean, I'll be honest with you, it does look good. I mean, I mean really, it, I'll be honest with you, it looks better than anything else that I was offered and given. I mean, it, the more I stare at it, the really, the more desirous it becomes. And apparently there's, I mean, you get wiser. There's these good things that, that come from it. But see, what's happening is all of a sudden she's interacting with an idea that there is a good Apart from God. There is a good separate and distinct from God. Because up to this moment. She has enjoyed good. This isn't a lack of good in Eve's life. She has enjoyed good. And God has always been the source of it. This is the first time that she's. Hey maybe there's a good that. Separate from God. And then our last phrase, you won't die. Now, in all this, there's kind of this give and take. Maybe a little question. A little bit of overplay. Now he just flat out contradicts, right? You're not going to die. That's not true. I find it interesting. He overplays the command. He underplays the consequence. Look how ridiculous and silly these ideas are. Let's just not talk about consequences. Let's just not talk about any result of not going by that word. Now, folks, this right here, this whole dialogue... I mean, we're talking about the, the opening moments of humanity. This is the opening page of human history. And I'll say it again. You and I are hearing, dialoguing with this every day, all day. You've never spent a day on this earth where this was not going through your heart and soul. We, we hear it, and, and I think probably again using that phrase, the course of this world, and we think, okay, how is this coming to us? It's coming through media, it's coming through culture, it's coming through academia. But before we throw it all off on the big bad world, no, a lot of that voice can come up within us too. I, I mean, just like the world, we can be the ones that, you know, I don't know if I, I, don't know if I buy this. This is just seems a little out of a little out of date, a, a, a little weird, you know, I just don't, I don't know, I'm pretty soon we're, man, is, is God being good here when he gives us this? And, and, and so we, we hear this dialogue going on, folks, what's happening here, and you maybe see in the title, Twist and Doubt, this is Satan's primary tactic. This is how Satan is moving into your life and into my life each day for, for one clear goal, to separate you, to remove you from the goodness of God. And so he twists God's word a little bit. He gets you doubting maybe what God is doing. I mean, as Eve perceives, hey, this looks, this looks good. There seems to be some good results from this. How then does she not also think, hey, wait a minute. If this tree is so good, why did God tell me no? Is God trying to keep good from me? 
does God not want me to experience? And now, see, pretty soon, I'm not only questioning the goodness of the word, I'm questioning the goodness of the one who gave me the word. Man, why, why, why would God hold good for me? I mean, he did say, right? Oh, if you touch that tree, you're going to die. You know what? When you hear God say that, don't hear God say that with a pouty face. Don't, don't, don't hear God saying, I'm the only good. I'm the only good. That God's not pitching a fit, folks. He's not holding a tantrum and saying, only me, only me. You know what he's actually doing there? He's just actually just telling you the truth. I am the only source of good. Good there is not just an adjective describing what God is like. It's talking about the source of where you and I can find and experience good. And so if I move away from that, okay, let's think about what's good. Hey, you know what's good? Life is good, isn't it? Isn't life good? Don't you like drawing a breath? Life is good. Okay, and God is the source of good. God is the source of life. So if now I start moving in away from good, if I start searching somewhere, I'm now moving toward death. You know what? God is the source of good. He's, you know what good is? Good truth. Truth is good. And if I start moving away from God as the source of that, I, I am then by default. It's not like God is zapping me. No, I have chosen to move toward what will prove to be lies and frustration and, and confusion. Hey, you know what? God is love. Love's good, isn't it? Love is, love is really good. And God is the source of that. So when I leave God and say, hey, you know what? That looks like a good way to get love. That looks like a good way to define love. That looks like a good way to experience. All I'm doing is moving away from love. I mean, I know what my eyes tell me. I know what the conversation going on all around me is. I know what my heart tells me. But God has said, no, no, you, you won't find anything but but hatred and, and anger and isolation and jealousy, you won't find love moving to another source. It's God's goodness that he says, hey, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat. Be loving, be encouraging, be engaged in the body of Christ. Those are his good words. They're not hoops. I'm an angry God, not really sure I want you in my heaven, but I've put these hoops out, and if you jump through enough of them, I might just let you in. No, his words are his goodness. You know, a couple of weeks ago, last time I was, I was here, I, I preached a sermon. You didn't realize this, that sermon was actually part one of today. Remember we talked about the, the good, good father, how good God is. And boy, we sang that song before the message and, and we sang that song after the message, that good, good father. And we said, man, it's so right, it's so good, it's so appropriate that you and I gather as a family, we gather as a group and, and we sing and we proclaim the goodness of God. But you remember I said, boy, the, the real opportunity though is when that song becomes how we live and breathe and decide and act and react. Oh, I want to sing. The singing is so good and appropriate, but I want the song to become a way of life. Now let's go back and circle around. Why the one tree? Why the one tree? Do you know what the one tree represents for us? I'm going to maybe present this. And, well, the one tree is our temptation. You know what the tree is? It's an opportunity for you and I to worship. The tree is a place where I can most profoundly proclaim and express the goodness of God. Because you see, as I, as I stand before the tree, and folks, the truth of the matter is, the world throws all kinds of trees at us. As I stand before the tree, my eyes tell me, boy, that's good. 
Boy, the, the discussion going on around me says, that's good. That'll be more good for you. And there's all this, that's good, that's good. My heart tells me that's good. But you know what? God's word said no. And I trust that God is good. And I trust he was being good when he spoke that word. Do you see now how an act of believing and obeying becomes our great act of worship? That tree is an opportunity. Yes, it's a temptation. And yes, we failed at it. But it's also an opportunity to say, I'm not giving in to everything going on around me. I'm going to believe the goodness of God. I'm going to believe the goodness of the word he gave. And I'm going to let the song I sung on Sunday become an act of obedience on Tuesday. Amen? Now let's take this dialogue. We, we, we could do a hundred dialogues if we had time. I mean, we, we could take a little issue in our lives. We could take a big issue in our lives. We could pick a hundred things out of the Bible, out of life. I want to take what I think probably is the biggest issue in our culture. I don't think this is new to humanity, but I think it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, it's like a balloon about to pop, and that's sex. Sex, sexuality, sexual identity. Now, let's start with what God's word said. What did God's word say? I made you. Boy, how profound it is to get back to a simple truth that we maybe think is not really that scientific. But all kinds of things fall apart when we move away from that. God says, I made you. I made you distinctly male and I made you distinctly female. And there's something to experience in life. There is a purpose in being distinctly female, in being distinctly male. That's how I made you. And to the male and to the female, I'm going to give a gift. It's marriage. And in that marriage, I'm going to give you another gift. It's an incredible gift. I really think you guys are going to like this. It's sex. And as you unwrap this gift and as you experience this gift, it is wonderful. It is awesome. It'll, it'll build a bond almost like unlike anything else. A little bit of a rule here. The gift is only to be used inside of one man and one woman inside of the bonds and the love and the commitment of marriage. Not before marriage, not outside of marriage, not after a marriage. One way. In this one place. That's what God's word says. Now what's the dialogue going on in the course of the world? And watch how it follows exactly this overplay. Why, why are... Why is the church, why are Christians, why is God so against sex? I mean, folks, the, the, the culture, the course of this world has so shaped the conversation. I think for a lot of us, the word God and sex in the same sentence is almost weird. It, it's like they, those, those things don't have anything to do with it. Shh, don't tell anybody, that, don't tell God that we're having sex down here. Newsflash, he invented it. His idea. <laughs> But see, we've so removed. Why did we remove them? The course of this world. And so then all of us, here God's I've given you this thing. It's a good gift. And all of a sudden, here's the discussion. Why is God so against sex? Why is God against you enjoying something good and, and feeling that goodness in the way that your eyes perceive, in the way that your heart feels? I mean, how can somebody be against? You see how all of a sudden, to speak against that, you sound silly and backwards. I mean, as a matter of fact, you sound hateful. To speak how? Because we overplayed what God actually said. God's not against sex. He's very much for the design and the way it's to be used. Or, or I know, I mean, I know this, this dialogue going, why is God against love? 
Why is the church again? I mean, what, seriously, what's wrong with you people? I mean, you know, two people find love. and Okay, so it's different than the way you would do it. It's different than how you... But really, why are you against two people finding love? That's not hurting you. That, that, that's not bothering you. So see, we overplay... And all of a sudden, you and I are back here from this, in this dialogue and, and, and we're hearing the overplay. And we think, gosh, it does kind of sound silly. That does kind of sound mean-spirited because the word has been twisted. And all of a sudden, you know, it, it, it does make me... How do I speak for God here? I mean, is God against sex? Is he against people being in love? Why, why does he have only this one way? I mean, what's so wrong with, with some variety, with some difference? I mean, isn't that a part of good? And we're, we're doubting the goodness of God. Now, see, while all this discussion is going on, guess what's being downplayed? Guess what there is no discussion of when we're discussing love? We're not having any discussion of consequences. We're not discussing divorce. Not, not every divorce is a sexual issue. A lot of them are. We're not discussing divorce. We're not discussing 50 million abortions. We're not discussing that. No, no, down, down. Shh. You're not going to die. You know what we're not discussing? We're not discussing sexually transmitted diseases. We're not going to discuss that when we're talking about love and everybody feeling fulfilled and, and filling out their own identity. We're not going to discuss that. Even though in human history, there's not one, think of this folks, there's not one reported case of a sexually transmitted disease when it was one man and one woman only for each other in marriage. Not one case. A sexually transmitted disease has never happened in that design and context. The moment you move outside of that, guess what? You're moving somewhere else. You're now moving away from love. You're now moving away from life. To where one out of three Americans is carrying a sexually transmitted disease. And that number is only going up. We're not going to discuss more sexual confusion and frustration and lies. Than maybe our culture has ever experienced before. You know what else we're not going to discuss? We're not going to discuss tens of millions of children enslaved. And when I say enslaved, I don't mean that metaphorically. It's, boy, it's like they're trapped. It's like they're enslaved. No, they're physically, literally enslaved in the sex industry in this world. Physically, literally enslaved in the sex industry in the United States of America. You know, when I hear that, you know what my first thought is? I think of some other country. Some dark, horrible country where it's just so bad. Did you know that Richmond is considered a, I don't know quite what the right word is, a, a center I don't know if it's the only one. Richmond is considered a center on the East Coast. It is considered a center in the United States for the movement of children who've been kidnapped and entrapped and enslaved in the sex trade. Richmond, our community, our world. We're not talking about that. We're talking about love and fulfillment and my identity. Overplay the command. Downplay any consequences. And folks, as we bite into all these different fruits that we've just are so confident actually can provide good for us, we're not only seeking down into, into death and destructive consequences, but folks, we're advancing another kingdom. 
We're, we're advancing now Satan's kingdom. I mean, folks, when I lie, okay, when I lie, and, and you can take, go to the next slide. When I lie, and you can take out the word lie and put any word you want in there. When I lie, when I steal, when I cheat, when I choose to get revenge, when I choose not to be encouraging, when I choose not to be loving, when I choose not to be forgiving, when I lie, I don't advance God's character. In that Well, I mean, come on, everybody lies, right? And a whole lot of lies are just real small. Okay, so maybe you only advance Satan's kingdom a little bit. Maybe it was only a little lie, so it's only a little advancement of Satan's kingdom. You just advance Satan's kingdom. Yes, you can do that as a believer. Yes, you can do that as a church-going Christian. When I lie, I'm not advancing God's character. I'm advancing Satan's. Lying. Jesus called him in John chapter 8. He said he's the father of lies. He's the source of lies. All lies have a source. All lies come out of a character. And that character is Satan. When I lie, I'm advancing Satan's work, not God's. When I lie, I'm, I'm advancing Satan's purposes, not God's. How do we do that? Why in the world would we do that? Folks, this is why Jesus puts in the very heart of the Lord's prayer, in the very heart, I mean, the Lord, this is what you're to be praying about every single day of your life. When you pray, this is what I want you focusing on. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God, please show me today where and how my words, my actions, my reactions, show me how I'm thinking can be a conduit for your kingdom coming in this world because I don't want my life to advance Satan's kingdom. God, please, I'm not good at this, Lord, and I can be given so much to what everybody around me is saying, but I want the way things are done in heaven, I want that to be how things happen in my life and in my home and in my church and in my community. Do you realize Jesus told us to pray about this every day? When he told you and I to pray about this, this is what's going on. This is what he's talking about. Now, knowing that, why do we sin? Why, why do we sin? I, mean, I, I can't say why you sin. I can say why I sin. When I choose the lie, it, it, it's, it's not because I think I'm advancing Satan's kingdom or God's kingdom. The truth of the matter is I'm not thinking about anybody's kingdom. You know why I lie? Because it looks good. As I understand this moment, as I perceive this moment, the lie is going to get me out. of. I mean, folks, you do realize lying will do good in your life for a moment. I mean, there are some places where you can tell a lie and you're not in trouble anymore, right? Well, that's good. There, there's some places where you can tell a lie and you'll get something that's not really yours. Well, that's good for, for, for a moment. That, that, that's why I... I actually believe an apple can do for more for me than God. It's because in that moment with my eyes, all I can tell is the lie, the cussing, the revenge, the stealing, that I'm not going to do what God's called me to do. It's my money. See, in that moment, all I can perceive is that that'll be the good. And I've got this dialogue going on all around me that is supporting that. Folks, knowing, knowing the business of Satan... That every day he's moving into your life and in my life to twist the word, to get us to doubt the, the one who spoke the word. Knowing that is what is going on. 
all the more we have to be so wholly devoted, so wholly committed to reading and to understanding and and to memorizing and to sharing and proclaiming this word. We have to work at this. You know what I fear to kind of go with the the theme of the day? I fear we are low-hanging fruit for Satan. I fear there is such an incredible biblical illiteracy, not among the world, among God's people. We are so lazy about this word. We are so ignorant of this word. It's not even work for us. What am I going to do to trick them today? It's no work for them at all. Hey, you know what? Here, here in Leviticus, God's word, God's word says that, that homosexuality won't lead to love. It won't lead to life. That, that, that that's not what we're to do. Oh, are you kidding me? Seriously, you think that's bad? Okay, so you're going to quote God's word. Hey, did you know in the same book it says not to eat shrimp? I bet you're eating shrimp. And then all of a sudden, you and, what are we doing? Does it say that? Does it say not to eat shrimp? Oh my gosh, it does say not to Well, gosh, that makes me a hypocrite. Well, gosh, that just, that just kind of makes me picking and choosing. Maybe God's word is kind of out of date. Maybe, maybe, maybe things have changed. Maybe, maybe that's really a little twist, a little doubt. By the way, we're not going to do a show of hands here. I wonder how many of us in this room right here, right now, in this Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, I wonder how many of us actually could respond to that argument about what hypocrites we are because in the same book it says not to eat shrimp and it says that homosexuality is wrong. I wonder if we would know how to handle that. So incredibly, we, we, I'm not pointing to you, we are incredibly ignorant and we are incredibly lazy and we are at war. And that makes us fools. There's just, just no other way. To, oh, I mean, I don't intend to be a fool. I'm just tired. I'm just tired. I've had a long day. I was up late last night. And I get up this morning. Ugh. And, you know, I'm not only tired, but there's so much in here. It's hard to understand and hard to, hard to put together. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that I get anything out of this. You know what? There is a lot in here that's hard to understand. There, there's, there's some things in here. It takes some real work, some real piecing together but you know what let's not forget there's an overwhelming amount of stuff in here the far majority in here is incredibly simple how much do you have to work through thou shalt not lie I wonder what God meant there wonder what God's doing with wonder what that's all about I just don't know what he means you know and I and I fear that pastors Knowing that we ourselves, we are so illiterate and so ignorant and so incredibly lazy. What do we want? We want to encourage and we want to motivate. Come come on, y'all, please. Give a little bit. You know what? A couple of minutes. If you just take a couple of minutes in God's word, it can make such a big difference. I'm going to say something here I'm not sure is entirely right. A couple of minutes in this book will not make any difference at all. Five minutes here and there will not make any difference at all. Any more than five minutes here and there and you'll grasp calculus. Any more than five minutes here and there and you'll be a great ball player. 
any more than five minutes here and there and you'll have earned that promotion and the raise that comes with it. Folks, honestly, I don't know of a single thing in life of any value, of any significance, of any importance that will be produced by me dropping down five minutes here and there. We're at war. And we're talking about we're tired? And it's hard to understand? But we don't grasp that we're at war, right? All I think I'm doing is just picking something that looks good. You know, one of the purposes of our church when you come here says usually, I think it's here at the same place every Sunday. We might move it around every now and then, but it's always in here. Our core values. Our core values. Six things. We have six. Probably every church should have something like these things. They might express it in three points, four points, ten points. We, we, we put it in six statements. And, and one of those core values is a commitment to Scripture. Folks, we, we want to be a people. We want to be a church. Everything we're doing, everything we're building, everything we're saying, everywhere we're going, we're building it on what God said. We're, we're, we're building it on His Word. And I think sometimes we reduce that to a commitment to Scripture means we come up here periodically, sit in this building, and watch the guy up front flap his arms. You know, we, we, we come to church, we listen to some preaching, we listen to some teaching. That's a commitment to Scripture. And you know what? Yeah, it is. That is absolutely a part of it. But, but folks, what we hope in me up here flapping my arms or James or Mike or whoever else is up here, what we hope is that that motivates, challenges you, encourages you to dig in and become a student of what God spoke, the goodness that He spoke into your life and into our lives, that you would be committed to reading, studying, memorizing, learning, both alone and together. Did you know one or the other won't work by itself? If, if the entirety of your study of God's word is alone, I will suggest you will never actually arrive at total accuracy. But even more than that, you'll even less arrive at application. Because application, doing it, it's hard. <laughs> I'm not very motivated to do it. Not when the course of the world is running around me and everything is saying, look how good everything else looks. No, I need others who are doing this. And I, I need to be with others that, that will motivate me, encourage me, pray for me, help me. And I'm doing the same for them. Alone, by itself, you reading it all by your... Doing it together by itself. It, it, here's the reason doing it together is not by itself going to work. Because we too infrequently gather all together, right? The war is every day. I'm standing before multiple trees every single day. But I'm not gathering with you every single day. I'm sure trying to gather with you as many times as I can, but I'm not doing it every day. So see, it's both. It's, it's, it's studying it alone. It's studying it together and being committed to the goodness of God in his word. Knowing that all day long, I'm going to fight battles over one thing. Is God good when he spoke this word? And Satan is doing everything he can through the course of this world to say, no, he's not. Come try this. It's a lot better. Folks, I want to close with one thought. Because I've said a lot of things today that are very inappropriate in our culture, right? There's a lot of things that, that I mean, people get fired. They get bashed. I mean, I, I said a lot of very inappropriate things. That, that's fine and good. I'm, I'm a bad person. I'm insensitive, all these things. What would you point to to show that what I said today is wrong? 
and that's not meant to be answered out loud. I'm challenging you this week, walk through your week. What would you point to and say, well, that's, there it is. There's where the tree is actually producing life. There's where something apart and separate and distinct from God is resulting in the real good. What is it? Point point to the, the, the horror and the wrong that is being done when we're really trusting that God is good and that his word is good for just See, it's not just that I believe the word is true. I believe every day on this planet proves that it's true. It proves God is good and what he has spoken to us is good. Boy, the, the tree can just be a horrible place to fail and fall. It can also be a great opportunity. Boy, God, I know everything I'm hearing. I know everything I see. You said no. And you're good. And I believe that. So I stand at this tree and I'm not going to get revenge. I am going to forgive. I am going to love. I am going to serve. I am going to give. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to steal. That's not the good. You are the good, good father. Let's pray. Lord, we're, we're a room full of people. We're not all in the same place in life. We're not all in the same place in our journey and our understanding of you. We're not all in the same place in, in our work with this book. Lord, I, I would pray that your spirit would move into our hearts this moment, throughout this week, and lay on our hearts what a next step. What, what, what do I do, God? What do you want me to do with your Bible? What, what do I do with this church? God, what do I do to know and to believe and to understand your goodness? God, it's hard. It's hard because everything around me is saying something different. Everything that I feel inside me is saying something different. God, would you guide each of us what's a step we're to take in our commitment to believing your goodness and how that goodness is spoken and given to us in your word. God, I would pray for a, a protection of our church And when I say a church, I'm not praying for a building. I'm praying for a body of people that God protect us from falling into the course of this world. It's so easy and so many churches have. God, may we build on your word, nothing else. And we need your help in that. We ask for this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.